Well, we have been on a journey for the past several months dealing with parenting. And I think of no better way than to end it right here looking at young babies coming into this world and parents who are striving, committing themselves before you and, and God to raise their children, to love God, to write a story in their life. We all have a story. Every, I love hearing the story about how the babies were, were born and how the processes they went to. There was one couple in our first service that they went through infertility issues for three years and God provided. Another one that they had had a couple of biological children but God had really laid on their heart to adopt. That they would complete their family circle with an adoption at the end. Just a beautiful stories of how God brings this together. Your family has stories. You're going to be with some of those stories this week. Good, bad, heroes, villains, whatever. You're going to be with some of those this week as you celebrate uh, Thanksgiving. But we're all in the story here. We're all part of God's story. We're all get to be in on His story. We can ignore His story, but hey, listen, there's a story being written out there. The problem is, or another problem, the, the question is, is what kind of story will be told on my life? What kind of story will be captured in a nutshell when it looks at your life in the end? And will you be remembered for that? Or will you be remembered for really some brainless, mindless activity? That, you, that you've done in your life. I want to take a survey today. I did in the first service. It proved to be true. But the first time I experienced this, I want to, I want to do it in this room today. And it, it was kind of telling. It was kind of convicting, almost kind of, kind of sad. But just think about it for just a moment. How many of y'all, and raise your hands, and I know this will be a little exercise for you. I want you to keep your hands up. All right? I want you to raise your hands. Not yet, until I ask the question. All right? So, um, so here, raise, if you know the first and the last names of both your grand, sets of grandparents, all right? Or if you have multiple sets of grandparents, we'll just take your... Uh, if you know two sets of grandparents, first and last names, raise your hand. All right, look around. Keep your hands up. Most everyone, I'm going to jump out there and say that there's some I can't see. Uh, about 90%, 95%. But keep your hand up, keep your hand up. All right? Uh, this is Simon Says, and I didn't say to put it down yet. All right, so here's another question. How many of y'all, look around, look around at everybody's hands up. How many of y'all know the first and the last names of your great-grandparents? All right, put your hands down. Do you realize your blood relatives, you're within two generations of being forgotten? Now, make you feel good, you can go home now. That's my message for today. No. <laughs> Within two generations, the very blood relatives that I will have brought into this world will not even know Mike McDaniel's name. There is something kind of morbid about that. There's something that bothers me about that. That I want there to be an impact on generations and generations that they'll look back on their great, 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 great granddad and they'll, they'll say, I came from that line. That was my heritage. That was my line. And I am living that legacy. And you're, this is going to make a lot more sense at the very end of the message. But just hang on to that thought. Because the story that we're living in right now, that we're all consumed about right now, about the ups and the downs and the hills and the valleys, is all a part of a grander story. And it's being passed down into the next generation. Parenting is one of those ways that we pass on the legacy. We pass on the name. We pass on the genes. We pass on the DNAs. We pass on the values and the morals of what we really believe. 
Now, parenting, I'll have, to, I'll have to say, is a little bit intimidating, especially on your first child. And I can just tell you stories of fear stories. I'm surprised that Jordan lived through them kind of stories. Uh, the first time we left the hospital, we didn't even know how to put a child in a baby seat. And literally, at that, I think they do it differently now. They literally handed us the child and said, you can go now. And we thought, what do we do with this thing? And, uh, and we didn't know how to put the child in the, char- in, in the car seat. And so it's intimidating. Parenting also can have some detrimental effects in a relationship. Your relationship with one another. All of a sudden where it used to be just you two goo-goo-eyeing with each other and it was just all about you and the world revolved around you. Now all of a sudden there's another person in there. And now there's all, you're having to share time and attention and energy of which is being depleted at two in the morning. And you're, you're feeling this tension in this pool and this draw away. And you've got to think of more of yourself. And the budget now is being eaten into. And now some of the fun things you used to do, you can't do like you once. It just begins to shape things. And it can begin to hurt a relationship. Now, I'm not anti-parenting. I'm just facing a little bit of the reality of the music. Another thing is that it can actually begin to hurt your relationship with God. We become so parent, or so, so child-centered today. We live our life about their activities, about their opportunities, about our child prodigies. And we want them to become the next, uh, the next great thing out there. And the next great football star, basketball star, whatever sports season it is. And then we want them to be the academic. And that's all good and great. But sometimes that comes to the detriment and the defeat of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's very dangerous tension that we'll have to manage when you enter into parenting. It doesn't come easy. It doesn't come natural. It may look natural on some people, but I really don't think it is. Beware as you enter into this. However, Siegel said it like this. When it comes to rearing children, every society is only 20 years away from barbarianism. 20 years is all we have to accomplish the task of civilizing the infants who are born into the midst each year, into our midst each year. These savages know nothing of language or culture, our culture, our religion, our values, our customs, our impersonal relations, our interpersonal relations. The infant is totally ignorant of communism, fascism, democracy, civil liberties, the rights of minorities as contrasted with the prerogatives of the majorities. Respect, decency, and honesty, customs and conventions uh, and manners. Barbarianism must be tamed if, civilian, if civilization is to survive. And that's, again, maybe a morbid thought, but it's actually maybe hopefully for parents an awakening to the reality that we have a tremendous responsibility. And it's more than just making babies, it's knowing how to raise babies. How to raise another generation. How to make followers of Christ. And how to give them the principles of God. So that they will walk in a good and straight and clear path. And it doesn't come, again, I must say, natural. Take your Bibles. We find in the book of Psalms. Psalm 127 is where we'll be today. We were in Proverbs last week. So if you were still there, have notes there. Just turn back one book. We're going to be in Psalms. We're also, again this week, listening to the words of the great King Solomon. Last week we listened to Solomon as he, as he talked 23 different times throughout the book of Proverbs. He talked straight to his son. I was a father to a son. This is son what you got to get. All right? We talked last week what every, son, what every child needs from a father. 
And so this week we're going to stay with Solomon, but it's in the book of Psalms. Now you heard me last week say that David wrote most of Psalms. David was Solomon's father and he passed on, if you will, a little bit of that ability to write music and chords and whatever. And he writes here, actually in Psalms, and we, got, we know that Solomon had 3,000 Proverbs and about 1,000 different hymns, plus or minus. So he, had, he, had, he was a very much a writer and one of the writings that he, that he composed was in Psalm 127 and Psalm 128. And it's actually in a section of the Psalms, it's called the Songs of Ascent. It's a, it's, it's a section in, in the Psalms that is actually songs that the families or individuals would sing on their way to worship. Now, I don't know what your family did in the car before getting here, and I might not want to know. Uh, but let's say this. If they had a CD player, if they had an MP3 player, if they had an iTunes, they would have sung these same songs in that day on their way to worship. It's a section in the Psalms between Psalm 120 and 134 that these are the songs of ascent. Well, the song that we're going to read today is one of those songs. And this song of, of ascent is actually a family song. It's actually Psalm 128 and Psalm, 1, excuse me, Psalm 127 and Psalm 28 literally go back to back. And they continue on in one continuous thought about the family. In fact, throw a little outline up there. If you'll see, you'll see in Psalm 127 and 128, you'll see the inception of the family, you'll see the birth of the family, you'll see the training of the family, and then you'll see the blessing on the nations for generations through the family. And you'll see all of that right there in two Psalms back to back. These Psalms of ascent, or these songs of ascent. So let's first of all talk about the very inception of the family. How does a family function? What is, how does it get its origin? Well, if you look at Psalm 127, verse 1, it says it very clearly. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. I want you to say that first phrase with me. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. There's a blueprint out there. There's a general contractor out there. And his name is the Lord. Alright, the is not the first name, the Lord is not the last name. It's just the Lord. He is the one who is the builder, the designer of the home. He's the one who instituted the home in Genesis chapter 2. If there's anybody who knows anything about a family, and how a family ought to be, it is the Lord. And if we get off of His plan, in any shape or form, we're doing our own plan, and we are laboring in what? Vain. Not only do you see that word there, you also see it in the next phrase. It says, unless the Lord watches over the... Oh, back up. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now go to the next verse. It is vain uh, to, to rise up early and to, and, and to go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved even in their sleep. There's a lot in this, these two verses alone, but one of the things I want you to see is the word vanity. Solomon wrote this. Solomon also wrote Ecclesiastes, which the word vanity, though is a different word, they're still synonymous in meaning, that, that he wrote the word, that he says again and again and again about life. Life is vain, it is full, it's empty, it's futile, it's inconsequential. That's what he's saying here. If you do it on your own, and you don't follow a blueprint, and you make it up as you go, or you hope it just kind of works out in the end, or it's just an accidental family and they'll end up where they end up, then, my friends, you're doing it in vain. Staying up late, working all night, 
If that's how you're going to build your home and just keep pouring more and more money into it, where you lose all your rest and you just work all the time, up late, up early, all that kind of stuff, you're doing it in vain. You need to rethink about it. Think about the paradigm that you're operating your family under. And the very first thing we do when we think about family, we think about children much of the time. And that's when he goes to the very next phrase in verse 4, it is, in verse 3, excuse me. He says, Behold. He starts talking about children. He says, Children are a heritage from the Lord. So I want to talk today about what children are. The very first thing, angles that we can look at children, the very first thing is that they're a heritage. What do you do with a heritage you appreciate? We're in three different angles or perspectives on how you can view your children today. And hopefully, as you build your home according to God's blueprint, you're not going to do it in vain, you build it according to God's blueprint, then hopefully, 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 you're going to see your children in the right light too. One of those is that you need to see them as a heritage. That's literally what he said there. He said it in verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Now, what does the word heritage mean? Heritage means this. It means gift. It means inheritance. Now, I think we all like the idea of an inheritance, of some purple-haired grand aunt somewhere down the, the family line dying and leaving us a wad of cash so that we can go out and spend it on our own, own desires and wants. That's the idea of an inheritance. We'd love to be the recipients of an inheritance. Because there's a laundry list of things that I'd like to get, buy, do, go and see before I die. So therefore, if you'll give me that money, then I can go do that. We misapply that word. We misapply that word in our culture. We misapply that word with our children. Our children are a inherent inheritance from God. And inheritance is the idea in a biblical model. It's not that it's just spent in one generation that's worked hard in this generation to make. This generation just blows it away. It actually should be reinvested, reapplied, and grown so that the next generation will have even more so that they can reinvest it and apply it and appreciate it even more in the next. We do it just the opposite in our culture when we think of an inheritance. You think, hold on just a minute, Mike. Uh, did you raise kids? Because I don't get money from kids. I don't get an inheritance. inheritance. My kids cost me money. And it's true. They will. They'll cost you a great deal of money. And this is old numbers. But I'm just going to throw them up there. If you live in a higher income urban family, then it's going to probably cost you about $242,600 to raise a child to 18. That's clothe them, feed them, water them, health care them. Of course, health care is taken care of nowadays. Um, <laughs> did I say that? Okay, never, never mind. So, you know, there's a lot that goes into raising an, a, a child and getting them out the door and making sure they're fed and watered and put out the pasture and things like that. So you, you, there's a lot, of, lot that goes into that. So as we go into that, what is it that I want to make sure my children leave? If they're an inheritance, if they've been entrusted to me, use that word, entrust. They've been entrusted to you. They're not your kids. They're his. He made them. He owns them. And so therefore, you have only been entrusted that person. If you don't believe me, wait till they're 21 and they don't come home. Or they go off and they marry someone else. And you're thinking, I wish they would marry someone else and move out. But you know, what, whatever the case may be, they're not yours. They're only yours for a period of time. Now what you do with them for a period of time is very important. So... I could throw 
any number of things at you of what a child should leave home with. But I'm just going to go with Paul and what Jesus said. If focusing in these three zones, if you will, then maybe if we do well in these three zones, our children will leave well. Paul prayed this for his believers in Thessalonica. He says, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Now what a great prayer to pray for your children. God, keep my children and make them holy. God, may my children be whole in their spirit, whole in their soul, whole in their body. May they be, we're a trichotomy if you haven't realized that just from that verse alone. We're made up of three different parts but yet make up of the whole. You're not just a body with bones and, and, and blood and pumping through your, your veins. You're, you're, you're a part of a whole uh, uh, trilogy of elements. Uh, that, that, that make up you. Even Jesus said, you want to love me? I want you to love me with all of who you are. I want you to love me with your heart. I want you to love me with your soul. I want you to love me with your mind. Again, you see these three played out. Now I've got to make sure, I'm going to pray, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want my children to grow up well in their body, well in their mind, and well in their soul. Making sure they're an inheritance that's been entrusted to me that I will give to the next generation that their soul, their minds, and their, and their bodies will be well. Think about it with me. Three points of appreciation that we need to help our children grow up in. One is a spiritual inheritance. What about your children's soul? I'm going to put this on the men for a moment. Kind of lean in on you guys. Guys, be spiritual leaders, examples in the home. We like to pound hard, guys, sometimes and, and say, follow me in a lot of ways. But I want us to pound hard or maybe just not pound hard. Maybe just be a good example spiritually. And studies have shown that if men will follow Christ and be the first ones to follow Christ, the family jumps right in about 93% of the time. So spiritual inheritance. Are you passing that on to your children? Are your children's soul, is it... Growing? Is it whole? Is it complete? Is it becoming? Alright. Number two point of appreciation is emotional inheritance. What kind of emotional inheritance are they getting? Where's their heart? Their heart is not their organism inside beating blood through their body. Their heart is more of the seed of emotions. It's kind of where they feel and emote and process life. We do as much thinking with our heart as we do with our mind. Think about that for a moment. And one of the areas that I see more in families where there's more neglect, I'll even say abuse at times, but I'll say neglect more than any. Because I think parents don't even know how to deal with it themselves. And that's an emotional wellness. <coughs> an emotional wholeness. Think processing through the feelings of their life that are so much shaping their decisions and how they view life. A book I read a few years ago said it like this. One of the most important factors in our home is our environment. The environment is where emotions are expressed and felt and processed. Some of us grew up in homes where emotions were not modeled or discussed. 
The few emotions that were expressed were kept behind closed doors. Others grew up in homes where emotion expression, emotional expression was punished and emotional repression was reinforced. Children raised in environments either consciously or unconsciously told themselves that it wasn't safe to feel. Now this is a book on anger in the home. So he sticks with the anger emotion. He says, with anger, some adults have uh, had parents who were who was a silent sulkers. Others had parents who were screamers or raging hulks. No matter what the style, how you saw your parents handling their anger, or I'll just say any kind of emotion, influenced how you handle your anger now. Your past shapes your present. Handling of emotions. Let me say this, and this may be just kind of like a Twilight Zone kind of music in the back of your head right now. But how's the emotional health of your home? The emotional wellness of how your children are processing through life, how you as a couple are processing your negative feelings, your positive emotions, and all that. How is it done in your home? Comparison chart, to throw that up there. And again, I don't have time to read all of this, but provide the safe, let's just talk on the positive, provide the safe environment in which the deep emotional roots can grow, fosters confidence through stability, conveys a tone of trust, support, nurtures a strong sense of positive identity. I like this next one, creates a resting place, not a rescue. Where your children can express emotions, where you as a spouse and a husband and wife can be emotions as you are, not emotional, but you can have your emotions and process them through. It's a resting place. doesn't mean you're going to fix all the problems. And, and I'll let you read the others for yourself as a comparison. So here's, here's my challenge to you. How healthy emotionally at the heart level is your home? Are your children going to leave the home emotionally well developed? There's one other wisdom Inheritance of the mind. We want our children to leave with good thinking skills, processing skills, not just skills, actually some depth to it. It's more than just being able to think critically and think through problems and solve them, but it's actually to be able to have a good amount of content inside of them, wisdom inside of them, which is what Proverbs is about largely, so that when they go out, they can really process well through life. In fact, I was reading just this morning in my own devotional time before I ever went to review today's message. And I read from Proverbs 24. I'm reading the Proverbs a day for this month. I read Proverbs 24. It's the 24th day of the month. And I came to this verse, Proverbs 24, verse 3. It takes wisdom to build a house. Well, we just read in Proverbs 27 that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain and build it. Who built it? So if God is the blueprint designer, general contractor of our homes, then how is he going to make it stick together? He's going to do it through wisdom. How wise is your home? In your processing and decisions as a family, how much wisdom is there that makes it up? One grandmother had this particular vase that she had been passed down to her, that had been passed down to her parents, and it was this heirloom that had gone on back for several several generations. 
She told her grandkids, don't go in the dining room and don't play ball in the dining room because this vase that we've had for generations, she'd lectured them on it, this vase for generations, and one of these days you're going to get the vase. Don't go in there and play because I don't want the vase to break. Well, you know where this story's going. The little boy, rambunctious as he was, broke the vase and walks into Grandma and he said, Grandma, you know the vase that that generation and that generation and that generation gave to you? Well, this generation just broke it. You know, I think about our own lives. I think about my own life and my own children. I don't want that precious inheritance to break in my generation. I don't want my kids to miss it. I don't want your kids to miss it. Some of y'all grew up with great heritage, great legacies. I don't want you to miss it. Some of y'all are rewriting the history because you're not going to relive that history. Great. We'll talk about that in just a moment. See your children, though, as an inheritance entrusted to you to invest so that when they leave, they're of greater value than your generation was. Think about it like that. Are your children an inheritance? If, they, if you do, appreciate them, add value to them, grow them. Number two, children are rewards. Enjoy them. I'm not making this up. It says it right there in the verse. It says in verse 3, it says, Behold, children are a heritage of the Lord. That's that inheritance. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Children are a reward to us. If, what do you do with a reward? You enjoy the reward. And my friend, these are, these are the next three things I'm going to tell you, these are just, you just got to, these are mine, okay? They're not in Scripture. These are mine. And I know when you're at that stage and your children are young and they're puking and there's mucus and there's waste coming out all the cavities and the crevices and the holes of their body. At the same time, it's really hard to enjoy them. And it's really hard to love that moment that you're in. But here's my three statements to you. You can take them or leave them. Number one, enjoy the time because it flies. They come and they go so quickly. I want to introduce you to Catwoman in our family. This is our, my daughter when she was eight years old. And she had about six cats. She is not strangling that one in the middle, I promise, with its mouth open and eyes open. She loves her cats. She has one cat now, which she's engaged to somebody. She's 21. And so if anybody wants a cat, he's allergic to cats, I'll give you a free cat. Uh, it's a free commercial, too. Uh, but anyway, the, the, the idea, she's eight. She's now 21. She was sitting in that first service. Sitting right there next to her, her fiance. She's going to get married this summer. I want her eight again. I want that. I want her running through the house. I, I, here's the reality. It'll never come again. I can't go back. So the next time, guys, you think about doing pushing a few more papers across the desk, the next time you think about staying a little later on the job or going home and playing with cat girl, go home and play with cat girl. Because you can never get that back. So enjoy it because it's flying away. All right, number two. Here's these are mine. They're free. All right, number two. Enjoy the personalities because they're unique. Now, I know when you have a child and they have a different personality than yours, sometimes it creates a clash creates tension. 
And, and we experience that in our own home. And you've heard me share stories about that. Psalm 139 says it like this. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Listen, children will give you a complex. But it's okay because they are complex. They're, com- they're made. They're difficultly made, okay? They're, they're just difficult people. Enjoy their personalities. Enjoy them for who they are. Enjoy them for how God made them. Number three, enjoy seeing them become. Because God has an amazing path for them. And I say that because this is a, important. Because it happened to me in about 10th and 11th grade whenever I was kind of off course. And God led me to a verse in Jeremiah. And I shared this verse a few weeks ago. And I want to share it with you again because I want to make sure you got it. This is why I look at it and I, and I say, listen, there's no illegitimate children. There may be some illegitimate parents, but there's no illegitimate children out there. God has a beautiful plan for them, starting in the womb. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you. God did three things. He knew, he consecrated, he appointed this guy named Jeremiah to be a prophet. Think about your children. Hold them in your arms. What has God got planned for them? What is he going to do with them? And realize that you, you get to reap the reward of seeing, seeing them become something beautiful and powerful. Hopefully for God and for his good. The third, the third thing he says about children here that gives us a right perspective on children. Just to wrap up the series. is children are arrows. You direct them. Alright? I didn't create these metaphors, rewards, inheritance, all that kind of stuff. It's all right there in verse 3 and 4, 127. Psalms, it says, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. What I said a few weeks back, bad families happen by accident. Nobody goes in planning for a bad family. Good families always happen on purpose. Because you were intentional about something, because you were focused about something, because the way you were going to raise them, because of the values that you were going to have, because what was going to be important in the home, because the, the house rules, if you remember that, this is what makes up your family. So many of us live our lives in that ready, fire, aim mode, which is kind of like accidental parenting. Okay, we're having a child. Let's go ready the room. Let's ready ourselves. Let's get ready. Let's read how to, what to expect when you're expecting. Let's get the book, what to expect in your first year. Let's take the, the classes. We're getting ready, okay? And then we fire. And, oh, okay, hopefully it'll end up somewhere in the right direction out there. Let's not do that anymore. Ready, aim, fire. Let, let's, let's get ready for them physically to come into this world. But let's also get ready for them spiritually. Let's also see where they might go because they're going to respond to us. They're going to follow in our footsteps. And if we aren't pointing in the right direction, guess what? They're probably not going to be pointing in the right direction either. And don't take my word for this. You just see this in history. You find David, who had a problem, obviously, a lot of, a lot of things going for him. He, he had a heart after God and all that kind of stuff. But he had a problem with sex. And you find it in his lineage right after him. You find David has sex with Bathsheba. You find Amon rapes Tamar, his sister. The next generation, Rehoboam used women. Eighteen wives, 
60 concubines. There's a problem with, with women and sexuality in David's lineage. And they never corrected, never course corrected. And so then you have it just progressively getting worse. You find in Abraham the legacy of deception. Where Abraham lied twice about Sarah being his wife. Rebecca and Isaac's marriage was wrecked with, uh, with lies. Jacob deceives Isaac to rob Esau of the family blessing. Jacob's name means deceiver. It literally made up the, the name in the family, liar. Ten of Jacob's sons faked the death of Joseph and lied to him about it. Deception marked that family. Let me ask you this. Listen very carefully and think very deeply. What's your family sin? What's your family sin? You've just done it because you saw it done, because it's been done, because you know it's going to be done, because that's all you know. If we don't reach into our past and identify it, we're going to repeat it. And like arrows in the hands of a warrior, if we were pointed that way, guess what? We're likely to point our kids in the same direction. How are we going to point our children? Because in verse 4, we are holding the arrows the arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of our youth. Where are we pointing our children? Let me tell you about two different families grew up in the same era. One family, a boy grew up and his mother was grew up in a pastor's home. His name was Edwards, Jonathan Edwards to be exact. And grew up in the 18th century. And his mother... And his father both grew up in pastor's homes, and it was a good experience, obviously. Jonathan Edwards goes on to become a, a pastor. So a line has starts here. And God begins to, God is using this family in a beautiful way. And over the course of the, of the time since then, listen to this. This is the family, it, late into the 20th century. They had four college presidents come out of that family. A hundred college professors. More than a hundred lawyers. 30 judges, 60 physicians, more than 100 pastors, missionaries, and theology professors, and 60 authors. That's a family with a good legacy, with clear path and direction. And there's the Jukes family. Let me tell you about them. Not as pretty of a picture. It's estimated that the Jukes family has cost the state of New York millions of dollars over the years. Since the 18th century, the Jukes have produced 3,000 professional paupers, 60 thieves, 130 convicted criminals, 55 descendants uh, uh, were victims of sexual obsession, and only 20 ever learned a trade, and of the 20 that learned a trade, 10 learned it while behind bars in prison. Family's legacy. You can carry on your legacy, or some of y'all need to stop that legacy. And you want to rewrite it starting now. I don't know where you're at, where you're coming from, but please don't squander your inheritance. You've been entrusted children. If God's given you that, you've been entrusted nieces and nephews. If God's allowed you to have that, don't squander that. It's an inheritance from God. Invest it, reinvest it, make it mean more in the next generation than it, mean, than it has meant in this one. 
Don't labor over your children as some kind of horrible thing. Just survive 18 years and get them out. Listen, enjoy them. Enjoy the noises. Enjoy the messes. Because our messes are a lot less now. But our kids are a lot less than the home too. Don't aim at nothing. Because you'll hit it. Aim at something. Aim your children in the right direction. Model for them the direction you want them to take. So that hopefully they'll follow in your footsteps. We've said all along in this series, we're not looking for perfect parents. Because there's not. But hopefully we can identify with our perfect God and Savior Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Him... I don't know how you're going to rewrite your family. I don't know how you're going to fix the wrongs because I need a perfect father and I'm not one. My mother was sitting right there in the first service and I shared this about her. Growing up, my brother's there now. My older brother and I've got another brother that we grew up together in. And it was just us three boys growing up and my and my mother, who most of the time, was, was single. And, and so it was three boys raised by my single mother. I can remember one time going out and asking her to play baseball with me because I wanted to play baseball. Don't play baseball with your mother. <laughs> Unless you got a really good mom who plays baseball. My mother didn't play baseball. I wanted to throw hot peppers at her and she wouldn't let me do it. And I wanted to throw grounders. I wanted her to hit me the ball. She couldn't. I was so frustrated. I just gave up and didn't ask her to do it anymore. She felt defeated trying to be mother and father. So she tells me this. I don't remember any of the prayers she ever prayed for me. But she told me some years later that she went into the room that night and she prayed over me. Prayed over us, boys. And she said, God, I'll be their mother. But I can't be their father. Would you be their father? And I'll raise them. And she did a pretty good job with God's help. We need a perfect father. And the only way you're going to have a perfect father is to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It starts there and it ends there. And it's beautiful when he gets involved. Let me pray. Father God, thank you that I can call you father. Thank you that I can call you friend. Thank you that I can call you my Savior. Thank you for being my father. Lord, I pray right now for every man, woman, boy, girl in this room, every every child, every father, every mother, every wannabe, one day, someday, that, Father, we will start and we will end it with you in a relationship with you. It all begins and ends with you. Lord, I pray for these moments. If we talk about families, and I know there's... There's people in this room who are feeling great weight and pain and shame even over their family. Lord, I pray they find the freedom and the victory and the forgiveness and the second chance right here today in a relationship with you, God Almighty.